Good morning. Is that on? Great. Good morning. Those of you that don't know me, my name is Rick Sherman. It is my privilege to be up here from time to time sharing God's Word. And I would be remiss also if I did not say happy, yeah, every time, happy Mother's Day. Uh, my sister, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, my sister sent me a quote earlier this week. It was on a school uh, in her hometown. It says, life doesn't come with a manual. It comes with a mom. I thought that was really good. So, happy Mother's Day. Uh, before we go to, um, sorry, a little more. So today is our second and final in a very brief series on responses to Jesus. Brady spoke last week on pride. And Brady, uh, thank you, I think, for the very sobering message. It, uh, it hit me all this week. And today we are talking about responses to Jesus in terms of humility. So hopefully kind of the opposite of that. Before we go to God's word, let's pause for a moment of prayer. Heavenly Father, we humbly come to you. We honor you as the all-powerful creator, God. You are beyond our ability to fully comprehend. And yet you show us your love and that you want each of us to have a relationship with you. Thank you for our Savior, Jesus, and that through him we have your forgiveness. Thank you for your word. That we have the opportunity to read it and study it together now. May your spirit enable us to hear your instruction and encouragement. And bless Brother Rick as he delivers what you've given to him to share with us. May our desires, thoughts, and behaviors be changed so that we can better love and serve you and others. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. So, responses to Jesus in terms of humility. Um, we hit that slide. Uh, today I want to hit two examples from Scripture. So, what is humility? Right? It's a word we talk about. It's a word used. So, where else are we going to go but dictionary.com? So helpful. Use the word to describe the word. Very gratifying. That's fantastic. Uh, their second definition hits a little bit better. Modest opinion or estimate of one's own importance or rank. Uh, when I'm studying something, maybe that it's a word we use all the time and it's something I'm not sure of exactly how to explain it. For me, sometimes I find it helpful to think what humility is not. Uh, so I will be very candid. Uh, the church I grew up in gave me a warped sense of humility growing up. Um, you could recognize and quantify humility in the church I grew up in. You can't actually do that. Humility is a matter of your heart. It is between you and God. But in the church I grew up in, I'll give you a few examples. You could recognize humility. People that were naturally exuberant, um, naturally um, had a lot of energy, and not high strung is the wrong term, but people that actually you wanted to be around, those people weren't humble. They were drawing attention to themselves. Um, you could tell uh, someone was humble by their demeanor because humble people spoke softly, and humble people speak quietly, and usually with their head down in some form of penitent role. Those were humble people, so you could recognize humility. You could recognize humility by attire. We dressed up for church. It was very formal. Women wore dresses and skirts. Men wore shirts, ties, and suits. Uh, not a lot of red and yellow dresses. Those would draw attention to yourself. That's not humble. The men, you could easily see humility there. The ties, not so bright. But the truly humble man, no tie. Suit, no tie. Because after all, Ties were invented to cover up buttons, and that in and of itself is vain. So the truly humble man was easily spotted. He was wearing a suit with no tie. Gave me a warped sense of humility. Humility also is not low self-esteem. Humility is not I am worthless. Humility is not I have no talent. Humility is not I can't do that. 
oh, I could never do that. I'm just not capable of that. I have no skills. I have no talent. That is low self-esteem, and that is a real issue for some people. But that is not humility. So I want to look at two scripture passages today. Matthew 8, 5 through 13. It is also captured in the book of Luke, but we are going to read Matthew's account. I'll give you a moment to get there. Matthew 8, 5 through 13, page 813 in your pew Bible. Matthew 8, verse 5. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home, paralyzed and in terrible suffering. Jesus said to him, I will go and heal him. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. And that one come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was astonished and said to those following him, I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, but the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside." into darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, it will be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed that very hour. So we have a centurion. Those of you that don't know, centurion is a Roman soldier with a minimum of 100 men in his charge. So Again, I said he is a Roman. He is a man of war. He is a man of authority. He has 100 people underneath him at minimum. I wrote down here, he is a man of integrity and accountability. We read that simply in the text. He is a man under authority. When his boss tells him to do something, he does it. He is a man with authority. When he tells someone, come, they come. He tells someone, go, they go. He tells someone to do it, they do it. I like this guy. This guy is integrity and accountability. I want to work for him. He's fantastic. He has worked his way through the ranks. You don't start in the army as a centurion. You start as a private. He has worked his way up. My assumption, it's an assumption, is that he's on his way up further. This is a man of integrity and authority. He is a Roman soldier. In Luke's account, we read that he has endeared himself to the local Jewish community by helping them build their synagogue. Roman soldier, with authority, with integrity, has endeared himself to the local Jewish community by helping them build their synagogue. Maybe humility where you don't see it or expect it. The centurion sought out Jesus. He sought him out. In Luke's account, he sends servants a couple times to see Jesus. The centurion sought out Jesus. Roman, soldier, seeking Jesus. On whose behalf? For his servant. He has compassion on his servant who is suffering terribly. He is not seeking out Jesus for himself. Compassion. Roman soldier. Lord, did you catch the verse? I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. In the King James, it's I am not worthy. Seeks out Jesus, calls him Lord, and understands that he is not worthy to have Jesus come in his house. The centurion, 
And Jesus pauses. Did you catch it? Jesus pauses and marvels at his faith, astonished in some translations, astonished at his faith. This guy is setting a precedent. This is Jesus' first remote healing. This centurion understood that Jesus did not have to be present to issue healing to his servant. He understand that Jesus' power is simply in his spoken word. He did not have to be there. This centurion had tremendous faith, and Jesus was astonished by it. And Jesus closes his interaction with him saying, Go, it will be done just as you believed. And his servant was healed that very hour. Humility and faith. Those of you that are note takers, that's the title of this sermon. I call the centurion faith and humility where you don't expect to see it. I want to look at a second example in the Bible. That is caught in Matthew or Mark, I'm sorry, 5. Uh, 21 is in red because it's a typo in the bulletin. That is my fault. And this account actually is captured in Matthew and in Luke. But we're going to read Mark's account. Uh, there's not a whole lot that's in all three Gospels. So there might be some reason for the re- redundancy here. Let's see what we can learn from this account. So again, that is Mark 21. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, My little, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and spent, had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling, with trembling and fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Excuse me. That might be titled The Healing of Jairus' Daughter in your pew Bible. I'm going to skip over Jairus other than I'm going to note he also exhibits humility. Coming to Jesus, seeking him out, falling at his feet. But I am focusing on the woman here in this. We don't know her name. But she is at wit's end, right? We read in the text she has spent everything. She is now poor and destitute, trying to heal a chronic condition, 12 years. I have not dealt with chronic pain. I don't know what it's like, but this has her at wit's end. Uh, just to note, she, um, 
Sorry for a second, lost my train of thought. She just simply says that she wants to touch the hem of his garment. I'm going to get to that in a little bit. But there is part a little bit of superstition some commentators think back in the Bible times. Um, there was Peter's, uh, can't remember whose handkerchief that they were passing around to heal people. Um, in Acts we read that people thought if they could even just stand in Peter's shadow that they would be healed. So I'm going to get back to that in just a moment. She also seeks Jesus out like the centurion. She fought the crowd. And I can't remember if it's in Matthew's or Luke's account. This said the crowd was crushing Jesus. This isn't 10 people. This isn't 50 people. In my brain, this is in the hundreds. The crowd was crushing. It was huge following Jesus. She fights through right there to get to him. Why did Jesus stop? Why did Jesus stop? Wasn't time critical? Do you remember Jairus? His daughter was dying. We don't have time to stop, Jesus. And large crowds, inherently, they move quickly. Why did Jesus stop? Did Jesus stop to embarrass her? By all accounts, commentators suggest she had a gynecological issue that she had been suffering with for 12 years. That was causing her grief on three fronts. It was physical, it was financial, and she was also ceremonially unclean as a result of her condition. So she was not a functioning part of society as other people were for 12 years at wit's end. Did Jesus call this out so he could publicly embarrass her? Why did he stop? Did Jesus stop so he could say, hey, I healed someone. Everybody look. Jesus had healed people before. He would heal people again. Clearly people understood he had the power to heal. Why did he stop? He don't have time to stop. Notice what he calls her. Daughter. The only time that word is used in all three Gospels. Jesus calls her daughter. Reaches out to her in a term of endearment. He stopped. Why? He stopped to teach her a lesson. And conversely, I believe us. Her faith made her whole. Did you catch that at the end? Same as a centurion. Her faith made her whole. It wasn't the magic of Jesus' garment. For the rest of her life, had Jesus not stopped, she might have thought, I just touched that magic garment and it healed me. And Jesus reassured her for the rest of her life, it wasn't the magic garment. It wasn't your humility. It wasn't you fighting through the crowd. Those were all good. But you know what made you whole? Your faith. It's our faith that makes us whole. That's why Jesus stopped. And that's our lesson today. Because we can't touch that magic garment. But we can have faith. It's our faith that makes us whole. Humility leads to faith. Humility doesn't save us. But it certainly is on the pathway to faith. Anyone, if you weren't here Sunday night, pull the testimonies up and watch them online. They were fantastic. You know what I didn't hear in those testimonies? Pride. I heard five people humbly coming to faith. Pull that up and watch it. Humility's checks and measurements. I've looked at two examples in the Bible, and I want to talk, I don't know if a little bit more personally is the right term. So the reason I'm up here clearly is because I have mastered humility. That's why. I mean, the elders said, Rick, you're, you're the only one for this. Uh, quite the opposite is true. I am pro-grade at judging, 
I am pro-grade at condescending. I am pro-grade at elevating myself in light of others. That's why I'm up here, because I'm pro-grade at it. So how do we measure it, right? Brady gave us some wonderful ways to look at pride, and I was doing pretty good on that list, Brady, until you said if you're thinking about someone else, then maybe you're thinking about you, and then kind of that carpet came out from underneath me. Pride may be a little bit easier to recognize, right? How do we know if we're humble? How do we do it? So I have a couple checks that help me. When, I'm, when pride's welling up in me and I'm looking at other people in ways that I shouldn't, if I can keep these two things in proper perspective, I find it difficult to be proud. And the first, very simply, is remind yourself how lost you were. And perhaps for you, it's how lost you are. But remind yourself how lost you were. But I'm a good guy, right? I'm a good guy. Husband of one wife. I've been a Christian since I was 16. You don't read my name on the front page of the newspaper. I pay my taxes. Those are coming up. Um, I put money in the offering box this morning. I mean, I come to church on Sunday. In wintertime, I have a snowblower. My neighbor across the street doesn't. I snowblow her driveway. Uh, I'm I'm a good guy. Neighbors like me. Beth makes cookies for the neighbors sometimes. Um, I hold down a job. I'm a good guy. I'm worth saving. I'm lost. I was lost. Lost like Bill Dawkins. Totally lost on my own. But I've been a Christian for a lot of years. I wish I was a Christian as long as Sadie was, who shared her testimony when she was eight years old. And I've grown. I have grown spiritually. I believe I'm a better Christian than I was when I was 16. I read my Bible more diligently. I know more of the Bible, have more memorized. Uh, I'm a more patient man. Um, I've, I've grown. I've, there's some more fruits of the Spirit that have manifested themselves in my life. I'm not as hot-tempered as I used to be. I was lost. I was lost. That sanctification process is all good. Don't hang your hat on it. You were lost. Lost like Bill Mahar. Hopelessly lost. Was I? Isaiah 53, 6. All of us have gone astray like sheep. All of us. My heart, I can identify with Jeremiah, is desperately wicked. There's a way that seems right to Rick. And it leads him straight to death. The Son of Man came to seek and save what? The lost. That was me. Jesus, didn't, the, Jesus said that the healthy don't need doctors. Sinners. He came to seek and save sinners. The lost. So our kids have grown from college, and one of them came home this weekend, and sometimes I see people with smaller kids, and I think, wouldn't it be great? Can I, can I go back? I'd like to go back and get some of those years. And sometimes I think, you know, it'd, it'd be nice to kind of to redo life. Knowing what I know now, I would do a better job. For the wages of sin is death. I don't know how early on in my life I started sinning, shortly after the womb. And if all I'm given is a second chance, then I will stand twice condemned. I was lost. And if all I'm given is a second chance, then I will be twice condemned. But we were given more than a second chance. Remind yourself how lost you were. It's hard to look down on other people if you can keep that in perspective. Second pride or humility check is try to grasp the price that was paid. Try to grasp the price that was paid for your salvation. How much was it? 
we quantify things in human terms, right? And mostly in dollars, especially when we talk about price. The U.S. national debt ceiling is getting a lot of press right now. Anybody know what the U.S. national debt is? I'm going to read you this number. 31,743,821,789,143 dollars. Friday, it's higher. 31 trillion, 743 million, 821 million, billion, million, 789,143 dollars. And that's not enough to save one soul. Not one. Not enough to save one soul. There is no dollar amount that saves a soul. None. Why was the price so great? I'll be very candid. I've been at a new job a little over a year, barely over a year. It's been a good move for my family. And in the past couple of weeks, I've had more than one person come up to me, and I am by no sense a data geek or a computer guy, but in the past couple of weeks, more than one person has come up to me, Rick, how do I get this out of the uh, software? Where do I pull this data? How do I cross-reference that? And I've showed them. And I go for walks every day at lunch. It's been great this time of year. And I'm walking one day this week, and I think to my, and quite candidly, I think to myself, Rick, you're pretty smart. You've done really well. You're teaching people that have been at the company three, four, five years more than you, and you're showing them how to do stuff. You're pretty smart. And I keep walking. And unfortunately, I'm not done walking. And a few minutes later, I'm thinking to myself, they're dumb. And it's not good. It is totally not good. And, and I'm honestly thinking to myself, man, not only are you smart, but they're dumb. They should know better. How do they not know better? And I keep walking, and the next thought through my head is, how can I work this into a conversation with my boss? How can I somehow subtly inform my boss that people are coming to me for help as the new guy? Pride absolutely insidious. That's why the price is so great. It's so powerful. How great was the price? 1 Corinthians 6.20 says we were bought at a great price. The price was Jesus. God says this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. The price, he that knew no sin, none, became sin for me and for you. The price was his blood. Hebrews says without the shedding of blood, he's quoting the Old Testament, there is no remission of sin. That was the price. It wasn't dollars and cents. It was his blood. And what happened on the cross? The father turns his back on his son. My God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? That's the price of my sin and my pride. And Revelation says the price, worthy. Worthy was the lamb that was slain. It was the only way. But that was a price. Challenge your humility. I can't judge it. It's between you and God. It's your heart. He knows your heart and you do. And no one else Challenge your humility. Humility is not about downgrading yourself. 
It is about exalting Jesus. We sang, I exalt thee. That's what it's about. It's not about downgrading me. When Satan attacks, and he most certainly will, when you stumble and Satan attacks, have you been down the road? You're worthless. I can't believe you slipped up again. You're terrible. You call yourself a Christian. How did you do that? When Satan attacks, you can't do that. You're awful. You are worthless. You're terrible. You push back and tell, see, repent of the sin, but you push back at Satan and say, Jesus paid a high price for me, and I am a child of the king. And he bought me with a huge price because he thought I was worth it, and I am not worthless. Child of the king, your self-esteem up, if your identity is within Christ. I will boast in nothing save what? Jesus Christ. And your humility down because of what he paid for you. A little bit of a gear change here, but I do want to mention it. This is a warning, quite candidly. And it's a warning for us as Christians, but I think it's more a warning for those of us um, that aren't Christians. And this warning is true. Humility isn't tied to your circumstances, your finances, your health, your social status, or anything else. Don't be under the impression that it's tied to it. It's not. Where am I going with this? Don't wait. Don't wait in pride. If you're holding on, if you're a Christian, you're holding on to that one little part of your life. You're holding on. Don't wait in pride. But I'm going more in broad terms. If you're not a Christian, and if you're thinking to yourself, I'm holding on. I'm living my life until the end. And at the end of my life, or whenever I deem appropriate, then I will humbly submit and reach out to Jesus. Will you? There's not scriptural guarantee of that whatsoever. Learn from the thief on the cross. Learn from the one we don't talk about. Learn from the thief on the cross. How were his finances? None. How was his health? He was being executed. He wasn't slated for execution. He was being executed. The governor was not coming with a last minute thing. The best he could hope for was someone comes by and break my legs so I die quicker. His social status, hanging on a cross as a thief. Humble, that thief used the last few words he uttered to rail at Jesus and to say, why don't you save me? Why don't you save me? And yourself. And that thief had no humility and no faith, and he's paying for it still today. Do not deceive yourself that at the end of your days you think you can just flip a switch and suddenly be humble and suddenly grab faith. It doesn't work that way. Today is the day of salvation. That is written in the scripture. Today is the day of salvation. Learn from that thief. Responses to Jesus. What is your response to Jesus? Is it pride and indifference? Those don't end well. God resists the proud. It's a theme throughout Scripture, and it's not good. Or is my response humility, like the centurion, and humility, like the woman? And that leads to saving faith. What is your response to Jesus today?